Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is your host, Abby Martin. This is the audio of our show. You can watch the episodes on our YouTube channel or at theempirefiles.tv. This is Abby Martin with your Empire Update, wrapping up the last week of U.S. imperialism. Our first story is about a brazen terrorist attack that murdered a civilian. Mohsen Fakhridzadeh, one of the most important nuclear scientists in Iran, was assassinated on November 27 by unknown gunmen. Here's what we know so far. First, only two countries are likely culprits, who have also done so in the past, the United States and Israel. From 2010 to 2012, back during the Obama administration, four nuclear scientists were killed in Iran. Though Israel never took credit for the executions, reports were conclusive that Israel, working with the MEK, were behind the attacks. The MEK is a secretive cult of Iranian exiles headquartered in Paris that is known for carrying out terrorist attacks in Iran. They were even listed as a terrorist organization by the U.S., while at the same time, U.S. politicians were cashing lavish paychecks from them to do their bidding. Central figures like John Bolton and former DNC chairman Howard Dean were given tens of thousands of dollars from this group. I even confronted Dean about this on my old show, Breaking the Set. Sure, well, the NSA surveillance is justified by fighting the war on terror, which is what you're talking about now, a real threat. Interestingly enough, you've been one of the most vocal politicians advocating the Mujahideen al-Khelq, the yeah. MEK, a, a terrorist group in Iran recently was on the State Department's terror watch list. Why do you support this group? It's not a terrorist group, first of all. Are they responsible for car bombings in Iran? 30 years ago, they were responsible for some terrorist acts, and they say that it wasn't even them, it was an offshoot. Israel rarely acts unilaterally. We know that they would likely not have done this back then, or now, without collaborating with the U.S. Likewise, if this was a U.S. plot, they would most likely collaborate with Israeli intelligence. So either way, the U.S. was probably involved. We also know Fakhridzadeh was specifically on the radar to be targeted by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who threatened him by name in a televised speech back in April 2018. Or could this just have been Trump? We know that last week, Trump asked his generals to provide him with a variety of military strikes on Iran, making clear he wanted to leave office with some kind of attack on Iran's nuclear facilities. Was this some kind of compromise? In response to Trump's desire to potentially start a war, was he offered a low-risk option to carry out his second high-level assassination, pleasing the anti-Iran hawks in the U.S. and Israel, but with no risk of repercussions? Look, we'll probably never know what really happened, but it's very safe to assume that Washington had a hand in the attack. Either way, if Biden doesn't immediately condemn this, it's going to be much harder for him to engage in the diplomacy with Iran he says he wants, and understandably so. Whether it was the US or Israel or both, we need to see this for what it is, an act of state terrorism funded by our tax dollars. Even if the U.S. was in an active war with Iran, assassinating a non-combatant for being a scientist would still be considered a war crime under international law. And imagine the response if Iranians assassinated a nuclear scientist here in the U.S. Not only that, imagine the response from corporate media, the hand-wringing, the condemnation from every pundit, from every politician. 
It would be condemned by the entire media and political establishment as the worst kind of terrorism, and they would be out for blood because of it. But when it happens to Iran, there doesn't seem to be any concern. This act of aggression against Iran's non-existent nuclear weapons program is particularly maddening, considering Israel is the only country in the Middle East with nuclear weapons, and the U.S. empire, with the most nukes in the world, is the only country to have used them. Our next update is a new development in a story I reported last week regarding Trump's misreported troop withdrawal, or more accurately, troop repositioning for the U.S. war in Somalia. On November 25th, a senior State Department official leaked to the press that a CIA operative had just been killed in combat in Somalia. Now, some have speculated that this leak was to put pressure on the Trump administration to back off its plan to move troops from Somalia to Kenya and Djibouti, from which they will still conduct combat operations in Somalia. But as I reported last week, the U.S. would still leave intact its CIA operations in Somalia, like this operative killed last weekend. But the real story here is that it exposes a little-known aspect of the CIA. When most Americans hear CIA, they think of people in suits, sitting behind a desk, or conducting spying operations. They don't often think of troops in combat. It's unknown to most that the CIA has something called the Special Activities Division which is essentially its own paramilitary organization. It recruits the most elite fighters from Army Delta Force and SEAL Team 6. It's considered the most mysterious military organization in the world. And they're on the ground probably everywhere. They do everything from conducting high-level assassinations and kidnappings to secretly training proxy forces. Similar to the U.S. military's special ops, but somehow far more dark more secretive, and totally unaccountable. For example, if CIA troops are on the ground shooting people, the U.S. can totally deny it, pretending it actually doesn't have soldiers there, meaning the U.S. really has troops on the ground very much at war in far more countries than they'll admit. How many countries have these CIA strike teams on the ground where it would be far too scandalous or provocative to send troops? But back to Somalia. The phrase removing troops will only refer to official troops, not these unofficial hit squads who are very much U.S. troops. While it's yet to be seen what will happen regarding the Somalia withdrawal, we got a little reminder this week that the expanse of the U.S. war machine is even greater than we already know. In our final update, we finally have some good news. The domination of the U.S. empire in Latin America was dealt a major blow this week when Bolivia's new president, Luis Arce, announced that his country was rejoining three key regional alliances. The Bolivarian Alliance for the Peoples of Our America, the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, and the Union of South American Nations. ALBA was founded by Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez as a vehicle to unite progressive and pro-socialist governments in the region in order to fight for Latin America's independence from U.S. imperialism. Washington has sought to destroy the ALBA alliance since it was founded, to keep Latin America subservient to U.S. capitalism. In fact, the Pentagon has launched coups in several ALBA nations, a successful one in Honduras, several failed ones in Venezuela and Nicaragua, and most recently, Bolivia where the Trump administration helped overthrow left-wing indigenous leader Evo Morales. 
The recent victory against the U.S. coup government in the Bolivian election last month was the first blow to U.S. designs. And this new announcement has landed a second punch. Rejoining ALBA is not just important for Bolivia, but for other ALBA nations who will have another link in the chain of solidarity against the U.S. empire. And for now, we can revel in that celebration by the Bolivian grassroots and in the failure of the Pentagon. Thank you for listening to our Empire Files podcast. Help keep us independent and ad-free at patreon.com slash empirefiles. And be sure to catch our newest episodes by subscribing to our YouTube channel.